Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Raleigh, North Carolina was recently ranked the fourth greatest exposure to and use of pornography in America. And we got churches on every corner and we got TV preachers on practically every channel and the world is getting darker and darker and darker and people are lost in their sin and they don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. Because they've never been shown the light. Have you ever been out at night away from the city lights? You get into what is called country dark. When you get out there, it's amazing how much brighter the stars appear in the sky, isn't it? They seem so bright and vibrant, you feel like you could almost reach up and touch them. The light of the stars stands in stark contrast to the dark of the night sky, and you can't help but notice them. Well, as we'll hear in today's message, fully devoted followers of Jesus are called to be lights in a world of darkness. Paul says, shine, shine like lights in the world. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. Heartbeat, it's the name of the current series that Pastor Clay is taking us through as we study the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church. It's clear from what Paul has to say that Jesus Christ was Paul's heartbeat. As Pastor Clay has explained over the last couple of weeks in this study, when Christ is our heartbeat, it affects our actions and our attitudes. And as he continues his study today in chapter 2, verses 12 through 30, Pastor Clay is going to explain that those actions and attitudes then become an attraction, drawing people to Christ. We're always glad when you join us. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's Crosswalk. talk to you a little bit about, uh, about shining lights. I know some of you have heard me tell about when I was, uh, I was 15 or 16 years old, and I was out with a bunch of my buddies one night, pickup truck, driving down, cruising the, the streets of Okeechobee, Okeechobee, Florida, O-K-E-E-C-H-O-B-E-E. We're going down, we're making the circuit. Uh, some of y'all are old, now come on now. Some of y'all are old enough to remember when you cruised and, and your town had a circuit, right? Some of us remember that. I'm not that old, but I but I remember that. And and for ours, you know, we we'd go up uh, 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 seventy or four forty one. We go up four forty one as far as the railroad tracks because that's where the four lane ran out. And that was a big deal, when, you know, having four lanes. <laughs> we got four lanes. Went up to the railroad tracks on the north side, and then you turn around after you cross the railroad tracks, and you loop back down, and you go past the Tasty Freeze, and past the drive-in theater, and past the Handy Mart by the old football field, all the way down to the lake. And we got to the lake, you'd turn back around, and you'd come back up again, and you'd make the loop again and see if any pretty girls were happened to be out at the Tasty Freeze as you went by. And then occasionally you'd throw in the east to west uh, on Park Avenue, I think that was, uh, loop as part of loop. So we're out making the loop, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know who discovered it. I don't know who came up with this, but one of us uh, uh, figured out that um, we could take uh, a spotlight, a Q beam. Y'all know what a Q beam is? Uh, a spotlight. You know, it shines like um, a million or two million. I think it got them up to like two million candle power now. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, it's like two million candle power. When, I think when I was this age, I think they were up to about 50,000 candle power. No, <laughs> it was more than that. But uh, anyway, it's a big, bright, spotlight thing. You plug it into your uh, cigarette lighter and, and you'd shine. You could shine on stuff. 
you're out in the country, you can shine up deer and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know who figured it out, but somebody figured out that um, streetlights had uh, these sensors on the top of them. And that, the, the, you know, the streetlights are set so that when daylight, when the sun comes up, the sunlight hits the sensor and that's how the streetlights know to go out. One of us figured out that if you hit one of those sensors with the spotlight, the light would go out. So, so uh, being the rambunctious teenagers that we were, uh, and, and being guys, we have to make everything a competition, uh, we decided to have a competition to see who could shoot out the most streetlights in a row as we drove down uh, 441. And, um, you know, you could, if, uh, you just, and you had to, this was, this is an art. This was not easy. You had to know how fast the vehicle was going. You had to aim in front, and you had, because the streetlights are coming up, and Y'all don't seem very impressed. I was pretty. I thought it was pretty cool when I was fifteen. A lot of stuff's cool when you're fifteen. Um, and and so anyway, we're shooting out these streetlights, man. We're just pow, 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 pow. We're going down the road, and the streetlight go out. Streetlight go out. Streetlight go out. Streetlight going out. And then the police showed up. <laughs> the policeman. It was a, it was a deputy sheriff. I remember right. He was uh, he was sitting at uh, at the Seven Eleven, and he and he he, he says. He told us when he stopped us. He said, I'm just sitting there. And he said, I'm just looking down the street. And these lights are going boom, 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 boom. These lights are going out. And he said, this truck comes by. And I noticed the lights are going out just as this truck goes by. So he pulls us over. I'm sure there was some law that we were breaking. So uh, children, do not try this at home. Okay? I'm not, I'm not, because I'm sure there is some, you know, thing about you're not supposed to be doing this. But uh, when he realized what we were doing, uh, with the Cuba, he, he started, this guy started laughing. He just laughed so hard. He said, y'all get out of here. And he let us go because we were, we were, we were letting our light shine. <laughs> I want to talk to you about that a little bit today. Uh, we are now in the third week of uh, looking at the latter part of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30. This is now the third week just in this one particular part of this one chapter. And, we're, and I'll go, go ahead and tell you, we're going to be here one more week in verses 12 through 30. But we are taking time, probably a little more time than normal in just this one particular passage, because there's, there's a lot here. There's a lot to discuss. There's a lot to think about. I hope there's a lot to apply in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 30. But, but throughout this, uh, the three weeks that we've been on this part, I've been telling you all along that from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30, we were looking for four particular aspects that should be evident or should be a part of our life as a fully devoted follower of Jesus. You all remember me saying that if you've been here before, right? Say, yes, we do. Yeah, that's right. Even if you don't remember, go ahead, lie to me. I I like it. (laughs) No, we've been talking about the fact that there are four aspects from this particular part of Philippians chapter 2 that Paul has to say to us that really should be evident part of our life. The first one that I said was, does anybody remember? Action. Yes, my wife remembers because she has to make the bulletin every week. (laughs) The first one was action. We talked about action. That, uh, and that came specifically from verses 12 and 13. And I'm going to paraphrase it, but basically here's what Paul says. Because Jesus is who he is, and because Jesus did what Jesus did, you should do what Jesus says. 
I mean, that's really, he's, he's, he's drawing from the earlier part of chapter 2, but when he comes to verse 12 and 13, that's really what he says. Because of who Jesus is, God in the flesh, because of what Jesus did, died on the cross for our sins, we should do what Jesus says. In other words, we should, what's the word? Obey. Obey. That's right. Thank you. Because of what, who Jesus is, because of what Jesus did, we should obey. And Paul says in there, in that verse 12 and 13, that obedience looks like this. He brings it out and he says it in a lot of different ways in a lot of his letters, but he says, work out your salvation. Paul says, here's what it looks like when you obey. Work out your salvation. Now, I just uh, remind you, again, not work for your salvation. Okay? <laughs> Danger, Will Robinson, if we get over into that idea. Not work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. In other words, we have to employ, we have to uh, cultivate, we have to maximize our salvation. We have it. Those of us who, uh, what the Bible says is, those of us who have truly, authentically, genuinely given our lives to Jesus Christ by faith, recognize that we are a sinner, recognize our need for salvation, and by faith believe that Christ, even though it's an event that happened 2,000 years ago, when we place our faith in that event, in what Christ did, in, and in his conquering of death and rising from the dead, when we do that, the Bible says that we are saved. Here's the way I said it uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we are, first and foremost, we, are, we have salvation from the penalty of sin. And if you like to put, fill in blanks, it's on the back of your bulletin. I happen to give you some of those. Uh, again this week, but their salvation from the penalty of sin. In other words, um, I, I deserved death. I deserve hell because I'm a sinner. I have separated myself from God because of my sin. That's just what the Bible says, folks. And by the way, you could see it. Even the Bible didn't say it. You can still see it in, in our lives. We, we, we know that we sin. We do things that God, God would not have us to do. But when we trust Christ as our personal Savior, we have salvation from the penalty of sin. The reason is because Jesus Christ took our penalty upon himself. He paid the price that I could never pay myself. My favorite verse in all of the Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I wonder if you would say that out loud with me this morning. If we could just read that verse uh, together, if you would. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear a hallelujah? Can I hear a, I want to buy you lunch. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I got you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just think those, it's just awesome. I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned because Jesus volunteered to condemn himself for me. First Peter 2.24 is what it says. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus has taken that off of us. But having salvation also has this idea. That there is salvation from the power of sin in our lives. Salvation from the power of sin. 
One of the things that happens to us when we, when we genuinely, authentically come into relationship with Jesus Christ and we begin to, as Paul says, work out our salvation, as we begin to utilize it and, and exercise it and, and maximize our salvation and, and, and this understanding of it, we begin to discover that God brings deliverance in our lives from the, the stronghold that sin has on our lives. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only one that sin has ever had a stronghold on? A stronghold in our lives. And, and sin's power just, just has us. Before I came to Christ, man, I, I, I was just a sinner. I just, that's, just what I, that's just what I did. But having come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and as I grow in that understanding of that relationship, and as I grow in that relationship with God, by the way, that process is sometimes what's referred to as sanctification. is kind of the theological term that's used. But it just means that I'm growing in my understanding of God. I'm growing in my understanding of who I am in God. And as I grow in that understanding, what I begin to discover is when sin that formerly had, had power over me, it was my master, God begins to deliver me from that. Now, listen, hear me clearly. As I understand Scripture, this side of eternity will never reach a point where we don't sin. I know we still stumble. I know we still fall. But sin doesn't have to be our master anymore. Sin doesn't have to control uh, my decisions and my thoughts and, and my everything else. That, that salvation also includes salvation from the power of sin. And then, of course, and I, this is something I also shared a few weeks ago, uh, there is coming a day, ladies and gentlemen, and you really can say amen after this one for sure, there is coming a day when there will be salvation from the very presence of sin. Uh, in other words, uh, we do still live in a world that is sin-cursed, and you don't, you don't have to spend much of any time watching TV or reading the newspaper or, or whatever and, and realizing how, how sinful this world is and, we, and the effects of this sin curse and why it's and how it's still all around us and how we experience it and how we see it in our own lives and the lives of other people. But the Bible states emphatically, which means God states emphatically, since the Bible is his word, that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will return to this earth bodily and will establish his kingdom on this earth. And when he establishes his kingdom, as I said then, sin is kicked to the curb. And sin and the effects of sin will no more be present on this earth. I I know that we can't even fathom that at this point in our lives? How do you even think about what it would be to be in a world without sin and its effects? I don't know, but I'm looking forward to it. It's salvation from the very presence of sin. That was two or three weeks ago. That was the first aspect, action, that, that we are people of action as a result of what Jesus did. And by the way, can I just say this? This is something that comes up again and again and again and again in Paul's writings. In, in Paul's understanding of, of salvation, saying you're a, a follower of Jesus just won't cut it. it. It's showing that you're a follower of Jesus. That, that is certainly is a, a part of what he's going to. And I'll, I'll talk uh, more about that in a few minutes. But it's action. And the second one that we said was attitude. Y'all remember that one from last week? And specifically, what I said was that you and I need to have an, operate with an attitude of gratitude because in verse 14, Paul says, 
Y'all probably got that one memorized by now. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Y'all remember that one? Hey, listen. Now, just to read that verse. Do all things. Now, we could, we could all live with this verse. Right? We'd be all right with this. If, if, there, if there just wasn't that. If we could just kind of cross out that all. You know? Do things without grumbling or disputing. All right. Amen. I can do some things without grumbling or disputing. Why did the all have to be in there? Now, if you look at that and you think, well, that, that, is, that is impossible. If you weren't here last week, can, and I, can I just encourage you? Or if you were here last week, can I just encourage you? Go back and, and listen to that sermon again or, or a few hundred times. You can go right to our website or you can have it even downloaded um, right to your device if you want to. Uh, our sermons on a weekly basis. Uh, do all things without grumbling or disputing, Paul says. And listen, I, that's the, the only way I know how to do that is to, is to keep in my mind this focus of gratitude on God. That's really the only way I know. Otherwise, I know I'm going to grumble. Oh, I'm going to grumble. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to dispute. I can dispute the mess out of something. If I, you, you know what I'm saying? So I've got to have this intentionality of keeping my focus on God and what Christ has done. That's why Paul's building that whole case in the earlier part of chapter 2, really in chapter 1 as well. He's building this case for all that Christ has done so that when we, we get to verse 14, we can say, oh man, I can't believe what God has done for me. I can't believe how much he loves me. I can't believe what all he wants to do in my life. I'm so grateful for that. And that gratitude then will affect my attitude. And what affects my attitude, ladies and gentlemen, then has a vast influence over my relationships. As I said last week, first and foremost, my relationship with God, but my relationship with others as well. My relationship with my spouse, if I'm married, my relationship with the people that I work with, pretty much everybody. My attitude will have a long ways to go towards that. So that was last week. This week, we're going to pick up the third aspect of these four aspects that we're looking at in in 12 through 30. But I want to read the verses to you again, and we'll read them again next week because I just really want us to get a a good grip of what Paul is talking about here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30. Uh, If if you've got a copy of God's Word, hopefully you've turned there. Uh, We have it on the screen as well. Uh, There are apps that you can download to your uh, phone. Um, okay, Philippians 2, 12 through 30. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. By the way, the, the fear and trembling part is simply referring to the fact that because Jesus is God and because he laid down his life for you and because he has purposes and plans for you, son, that, that ought to make any, anybody have a little fear and trembling. Not fear in the sense of scared of, but awe that God would love me that much. Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling. Or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, 
so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, even if I have to die, Paul's saying, even if this is the end for me, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also may be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister in my need. Because he was longing for you all and he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrows. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. The third aspect uh, from Philippians chapter 2 this morning is this. We need to be an attraction, not a distraction. The third aspect is attraction, and specifically we need to be an attraction, not a distraction. Let me read verses 15 and 16 to you again. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul uh, jumps into that part in Verse 15 with that phrase, but prove yourselves. Prove yourselves. It it has the idea of show yourself. Demonstrate yourself. Listen, this is a theme, as I said a second ago, this is a theme that comes up again and again and again in Paul's writing. There's just, there's no place in Paul's theology for a person that just says, "I, I, I believe in Jesus. For Paul, it's much more than that, that it's this, it's this understanding that when coming to Christ, it changes our actions, it changes our attitude, it changes who we are as a person. We're simply not the same person anymore when we come into relationship with Jesus. Some of that is a process, some of it's instantaneous, when we receive Christ, penalty of sin, is gone, all that kind of stuff. But then some of it's a process, that sanctification thing that I talked about. But the point is, we can't be the same anymore. We have to change. And part of that means that my very life is going to change. See, for Paul, it's more, when I say that I have faith, or when I say that I believe, 
in God or I believe in Jesus Christ. For Paul, it's more than something that's just up here. It's something that's in here. And when it's something that's in here, it's something that will come out here. In other words, it will come out in my life. It will come out in my actions. It will come out in my attitude. It just has to because the Spirit of God dwells within me. It can't, if it doesn't, then it can't be real. Now, lest you think that, uh, well, Paul's just, you know, he's an extremist and he's over there. Listen, we could look at hundreds of verses in the Bible that are consistently pointing to this idea that faith is not simply some intellectual thought. Faith is not just a status on our Facebook page. That faith is a change of life. We can look at all kinds of verses, but let me just show you just these from the book of James, if I could. Let's start with James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, I know James is writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but you can see a little sarcasm uh, in James's, uh, James's words coming out there. Basically, what he's saying is, uh, somebody may say, well, I have faith. Okay, show me your faith. Well, I, I don't, I, I have faith. <laughs> James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. James 2, uh, 19. You believe that God is one. Well, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Y'all ever had somebody say this to you? I've had a lot of people say to me, I I believe in God. I believe in God. Well, way to go. You're in good company. The satanic devil of hell believes the same thing you do. He believes it, but he's certainly not saved. So there must be something more to it than just an understanding that God is God or that Christ died on the cross for our sins. There must be something more to it than just believing that, uh, James 2.20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? It, if it's genuine, if it's real, if it's authentic, it has to change my life. And uh, one more, James 2.26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. It's, it, there's no life in it. It's not authentic. It's not genuine. It's not real faith because it hasn't changed my life. That, that is at the crux of Paul's theology, ladies and gentlemen. Prove yourselves, demonstrate yourselves, show yourself to be this child of God. And then, and then he uses this phrase, prove yourselves to be, and he uses this phrase, blameless and innocent. He uses blameless and innocent to kind of work uh, or contrast against the idea of crooked and perverse generation. In other words, uh, Paul's saying that, that you, child of God, he's doing this contrast. Blameless and innocent. He's referring to the person, by the way, he's not saying that we are without sin. He's not saying that we are, you know, sinless or that no fault or, or that sort of thing. But what he's saying is that for the person who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ, and because of that, they're trying to live their life in a way that honors and glorifies God and serves him and builds his kingdom, that that, that person in comparison to the crooked and perverse generation, the, the, the generation or, or the people that are just, they're just living for me, living for now, living for the weekend, living for, for this and how much stuff I can get and how much I can accumulate or, or how much fun can I have. or It's all about me and it's all about this world. Paul says that, that compared to that crooked and perverse generation, it's, it's as if you're blameless and innocent. That, that contrast, are you with me? You, you, you hear, listening to me? That contrast 
between the followers of Christ and the followers of the world, to use that phrase. That difference should be so stark, so obvious, so plain that nobody could possibly miss it. You couldn't help but see this person is radically different from this person. Paul says, that's how you ought to be. And why is it so obvious, Paul says? Because, here's the phrase Paul uses, because we are in the midst. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't even need to tell you this, but we are smack dab right in the middle of a world that is totally, completely lost. They, they, they are living in... In darkness, I, I mentioned recently that Cindy and I uh, just got back from Las Vegas, spent some time in Las Vegas. And you don't have to spend more than five minutes on the strip to find out just how dark and lost this world is, right? But lest you think, well, again, that's just, you know, that's Las Vegas. You know, it's already hot out there. They're just warming up for hell. You know, lest you think that, unless you think, oh, that's just, listen, I got an email the other day that said that Raleigh, North Carolina, y'all heard of that place? <laughs> we, in a, man, we in a Bible belt. Raleigh, North Carolina, I got an email the other day, it said Raleigh, North Carolina was recently ranked the fourth smuttiest city in America. Smuttiest meaning the fourth greatest exposure to and use of pornography in America. And we got churches on every corner, and we got TV preachers on practically every channel, and the world is getting darker and darker and darker, and people are lost in their sin, and they don't know where to go, they don't know where to turn, they don't know what to do, because they've never been shown the light. Hello! They've never been shown the light. And Paul says, shine, shine like lights in the world. You're right in the middle of them. Sometimes churches get what, what I call a circle the wagons mentality. You know, oh, we, you know, we've got we to get away from the world. And there's this idea of come apart, be separate, live a different life. But, you know, which, you know, we got to come in here and we, we got to have, you know, this. And, you know, it's all about I, I, my personal conviction that, that monasteries and convents are monuments to this type of thinking. That we've got to separate ourselves from the world. And that is polar opposite, ladies and gentlemen, of what we are actually called to do. We are called to engage. We are called to, say it with me, shine. Shine in this world around us. Because we are in the midst. And I just, I just tell you, I, uh, one of the principles of, of Cross Culture Church when we founded this thing, one of the seven defining uh, principles, what we call our, our DNA, our defining non-negotiable absolutes. One of them carries that idea that we are going to engage the world around us because we can't circle the wagons because the world is in darkness. We have the light and we have, not that we're any better than anybody else, but we've been exposed to Christ. He saved us and we have to expose others. So you know what? So that's what we say. That's, that's one of our principles and it's kind of built on what's known as a simple church model. Because I've been convinced for years, and this just is my conviction, and, and, and until somebody changes my mind or God changes my mind, this is just a convic- conviction of mine, is that, that we, meaning the established church, the, the church overall, we keep people so busy inside the church that they never have time to go out and be the church. So no, you know what? No, we don't have Sunday night services at Cross Culture Church. Yeah, we do some stuff every once. We do some special stuff every once in a while and things like that. But we, we, we don't have Sunday night services. We don't have Wednesday night services at Cross Culture Church. 
We don't have this committee meeting and that committee meeting. We don't have this function and that function. We have a, a few things, but by and large, for the most part, what we ask of you is to give your Sunday mornings to, to come and give and serve and, and worship and, 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 and learn and, and, and serve, all those kind of things. We ask you to, to do that, and we ask you to participate in a life group, a small group of, of fellow believers in which you can share your life together. Those are the two things that we ask you to do, and then we tell you to get out there and shine. Shine in the workplace. Shine in the grocery store. Shine at Walmart. Shine at wherever. Shine in your home. Shine. That's what we ask you to do. I was, uh, was thinking about, and I know I probably have told some of you this too, but as long as I remember that I've told you this stuff before, I- I'm not senile yet. But uh, I remember uh, uh, that I-, I was, there was a church that I pastored previously, there was a girl attending there who was a believer, and she was married uh, to a, a young man who was not a believer. He had grown up in a home where both his parents were staunch atheists, and um, he grew up in an environment where uh, anyone that believed in, in God or believed in Jesus Christ was ignorant, uneducated, um, you know, superstitious, all that kind of thing. That was the environment that he, that he grew up in. But God was working in this young man's Life, And he asked his wife to ask me to come over and talk to him. And I'm ready, right? Because I know, I know the environment this guy grew up in. I know, oh, I know what, what he's going to have to hear. So I'm, I'm all brushed up, man. I'm ready. I, I figure I've got to give him all these arguments for, for the existence of God. I've got to give him all, all these arguments for the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've got to give him all these statistics on, on the accuracy of, of the Bible and the Word of God. I've I got my, I got my uh, cosmological argument ready to go. I've got my teleological argument ready to go. I, I've got my, uh, uh, my moral argument ready to go. I've got my first cause argument ready to go. I've got, uh, I've got statistical data. I've got uh, scientific stuff. I am loaded for bear, looking for somebody to just, just lay it out. I go into his house and sit down, and I, I launch into my, my stuff about reasons why he ought to believe in God and reasons why Jesus Christ was who he said he was and he died and how, how we know that he wrote. You know, I'm just launching all this. And he just stops me. In mid-sentence, he stops me. He says, I don't need to know any of that stuff. I wish I'd have known that before I studied up. He says, I don't need to know all that stuff. And then he points at his wife. And he says, I have watched her. I have watched her in the pressures and the problems of life. I have watched how she has handled some of the stuff that I have poured out on her life and the things that I have done. I have seen a peace and a contentment in her life. And all I know is I need what she has. Shine. Shine. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Shine as lights in the world. And listen, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm not very gifted. I don't, I can't do. Listen, (laughs) the world is so dark, you don't have to be a very bright light to be noticed. (laughs) I'm I'm not trying to insult you or anything. I'm just saying, folks, shine. Just shine. So, the next time your boss says to you, need you to stay late tonight. You instantly remember, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. And you say, absolutely, boss. Thank you for the privilege of working. If there's anything else I can do, please let me know. Shine! <laughs> you have just shined a spotlight, ladies and gentlemen, on Jesus. 
But, but I didn't say anything about Jesus. You will. You will. People will come to you and they'll say, what drug are you on? How do you do that? How can you take that? How do you always have so much joy? How come you're always so positive? They'll, they'll come, they'll, I swear, they'll ask you that stuff. And they'll overhear you. They'll hear you talking about stuff. They'll hear you talking about what an awesome message you heard Sunday at church. <laughs> they'll hear you talk about just how you love to worship with God's people, the living God. And they'll, they'll take you the Ivite card you get. Listen, just shine. That's all I'm saying, folks. It's, it's really not that hard. It's just living it out. My actions and my attitudes come out in a way that people say there's something different about that guy. A little weird, but I like it. Okay, I got to close. Um, but l- l- let, me just, let me just give you this, because this, this is near and dear to my heart. Um, Paul, uh, Paul says, holding fast the word of life, speaking forth the, the, the word. No, the, hey, listen, okay, hang with me. I, I need to say this. I just feel like I need to say this. Holding forth the word of life means, folks, we can't water it down. We can't, you know, in other words, in the idea of trying to shine, the, other, in the idea of trying to attract people to Jesus, we cannot change the message. Do you understand what I'm saying? We still have to say, the Bible says there is a heaven, there is a hell, and you're going there unless, to hell unless you give your life to Jesus Christ because he's the only way. Cindy and I were on an airplane coming back from Vegas, and we got in this conversation with this lovely lady who was coming to visit her grandchildren, and, and through our conversation or what she saw us reading or whatever, she, she asked us, you know, what was going on, and, and Cindy told, told her that I was a, a pastor, and, and so she, she's just very inquisitive. She says, well, what, tell me, what do, you, what do you believe? And we begin to talk to her about that, and she says, and she was from San Francisco, and she says, well, I, I, you know, if I can just speak plainly, I, I've just always uh, respected and honored all religions. Respect's got nothing to do with it. It's what is truth and what is not truth. And I was able to, she was a librarian, and she knew very well some of C.S. Lewis's works, and I was able to point her towards C.S. Lewis and that famous statement that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. You can't, it's just one of those three. Either he lied the whole time when he said he was the only way, that he was God in the flesh. Either he lied about all of that, or he was crazy, or he is Lord. And you have to deal with that one way or the other. And, and, and then you just, you just leave it. You just got to, listen... The truth is, not everybody, no matter how much we shine, not everybody's going to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But that's not our business. God is the one who does the drawing. God is the one who does the saving. We are the one who shine. And God uses that to draw people into a relationship with him. Okay, here it is. Uh, he says, um, so that in the day of Christ, when, when, they, when we stand before Christ someday, when Christ returns, when his kingdom is established, all that kind of stuff, in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. That's Paul's pastor heart coming out right there. He says, listen, listen, Philippian church, man, I want to know when I come to the end, I want to know someday when I stand before Christ, when I see you there, when I see how, how you have grown in Christ and how God has used you to shine in other people's lives, then I'll know then I'll know that I, it wasn't a waste of time. I poured my life into you. I poured my time into you. I poured my, my physical strength, my very ability. I poured everything I had into you, and I didn't toil in vain. I didn't waste my time. God used you, and God changed your lives, and he used you to change other people's lives. I just tell you, as a pastor's heart, I so identify with that because when I come to the end of my days, I want to know whatever time I spend, whether it's in preparation for sermon or whatever time I spend in mentoring or whatever time I spend in counseling or whatever time, I truly desire that your lives would be changed as a, as a, as a result of what I poured into your life so that then you, in turn, can go out and pour it into other people's lives. Shine. 
Here's the question. Am I an attraction to Jesus or a distraction? Do my actions and my attitude naturally draw people towards wanting to know more about this? Not, again, not everyone's going to be interested. Not everyone's going to receive it. But do my actions and my attitude, are they such that God can use me to draw others? Or are my actions and attitudes, quite honestly, so sorry, so disconnected from this, this faith that I say I have in God that, that I'm actually distracting people from relationship with Jesus? It's a great question for me to ask myself. Holding forth the word of life. What a privilege it is to think that God would use us to draw others to Him. It's also quite a responsibility. Knowing that should motivate all of us to make sure that our actions and attitudes are honoring to Christ. We certainly don't want to be a distraction. As Paul wrote, we are in the midst of a world lost in darkness. The light of Christ that shines in us should also shine from us and attract people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540 Exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.